What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Everything that makes you you is absolutely perfect, including having something like herpes. And so I got to learn how to use this STI as a key to finding my partner and any potential partners that I engage with. And once I started to view it like that, things really shifted for me. Welcome back, lovers. I am Jessica Spandiari, your host of Openly, the podcast. And this is a Soulfire production. Today, I have another member of the Soulfire family with me, which is super exciting. I actually feel like I'm working my way through everyone at Sex and Love Co., um, my new amazing fun friends uh, based down in Austin, Texas. Um, And so today I have with me Serena Rose. She is a sex and relationships coach. And as a child, she experienced a variety of unique trauma-based to spiritual occurrences. Um, And that helped guide her to where she is now. Um, On her path, she learned that sexual development was a catalyst for rapid healing. Wow. Like so many of us, and I think everyone listening to this podcast can really identify with this. So now she helps singles and couples embrace love, communication, and themselves and their kinks in a way that feels good. I so love this, this bio and this explanation of who you are because I think it really resonates with me and my listeners. And I can't wait to dive into this conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Serena Rose. Hi, everybody. Hi, loves, aka listeners. I love that you call them that. And I'm so excited to be here. It's an honor to be on your show, Jessica. Yeah, we're so excited to have you. I I have so many questions. Um, I I know very little about you, but I did peep and find out that we have a Catholic upbringing in common. Um, and I'm curious how one goes from you know growing up Catholic, maybe you know sexually conservative in many ways, to becoming a sex, love, and relationships coach. Yeah. So my journey with Catholicism. And my family's background with it is a little bit different than the normal journey that (laughs) there's a lot of undercover kinks in the Catholic uh, upbringing. So, yeah. However, my journey was a little bit outside of just the typical reserved family upbringing. So this is like the we're diving right into the the trauma. So trigger warning for people. Let's do it. Yeah. So this is what I call my family's big dark secret. And my grandfather was a, I'm struggling with words of what to, to call him respectfully, but anyways, he assaulted a lot of people in my family sexually and including myself. And so When it happened to me, I was about 12 years old and I ran to my aunt and uncle's house and told them what happened. And my aunt's response was, oh, not again. And I was like, what? You mean you could have protected me and this could have never happened and I didn't know this about him and what? And so I learned that day and throughout the next couple of weeks and months that he had assaulted my aunts growing up and that he also assaulted me. And so I was what you want to call the black sheep, the rainbow sheep, uh, the outcast of the family. And I refused to accept this behavior. And so I rebelled. I told my family, no, fuck you. I'm not going to respect my elders and do the the Catholic thing and kiss him on the cheek and go to family functions and pretend like everything's okay. I'm just not going to do it. And so even at the young age of 12 and throughout the rest of my teenage years, I stuck up for myself and it was hard. 
And in a lot of ways, I lost my voice during that time because my family encouraged me not to report it to authorities, uh, to not say anything, to keep their secrets safe, to respect my elders simply in that way. And, And also in a lot of ways, I found my voice and I found my boundaries and what I was okay with and what I wasn't okay with. And so it was a really big turning point for my personal journey, my healing journey, my trauma, just all of it. And Mm. I think it opened the door to a lot of very interesting conversations with my family, myself, and, you know, it continues to give because I'm right here right now talking about it. Yeah. Wow. Well, first of all, thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, The amount of bravery that it takes a 12-year-old girl to openly come out to her family about something like this is just, it's remarkable, honestly. And so I just want to acknowledge you for that and for continuing to share this story because I know even just me hearing it, I got chills listening you say, I was not going to accept this. Um, and, you know, you continue to speak out about it. And your first reaction was this could have been stopped. Like, that's so insightful for a young girl. Um, and I know many people listening have experienced trauma, sexual trauma in some form or another, and myself included, thinking about how in situations where things weren't right, I, I froze. Um, and I didn't share. And so in hearing your story, like it actually gives me hope and it gives me chills thinking like there are people like you who chose a different route and it's just so courageous and I admire you so much um, at that age. And I can't wait to hear more of your story. I have so many questions. Um, So my first thought is, as you said, like your family really encouraged you to go one way with this and you rebelled. how did that sort of influence your sexuality as a teenager, having had this trauma at such a young age? Well, believe it or not, I wanted to save myself for marriage. And so I got into a long-term relationship with my high school sweetheart and got pressured into having sex before marriage. and. The thick of it is that I'm very grateful for that experience because I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now without opening myself to sexual experiences and development. Um, But there are statistics surrounding sexual assaults where if you have experienced it once, you are more than likely to experience it again. And I share this just because it's the statistics, not because I wish this on anybody at all, Um, but that is and was the case for myself. And so I got myself into a number of situations throughout my teenage years that were potentially unsafe and also went in line with my rebellious spirit and wanting to find myself and find my voice and experience life outside of a sheltered and reserved uh, childhood that I experienced. Mm, Yeah, I could, yeah, I can see how that would sort of lend itself to almost, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, as as a young girl, right? You don't yet have all the tools and you can have an idea of what you want, like you said, saving yourself for marriage, but your spirit wants to explore and to sort of like try all of these things. And I think it's such a crazy time, right? Being like a young girl or boy um, or anything in between to sort of navigate our sexuality, whether we've had trauma or not. I think that on some level, all of us have had trauma, whether it's been like a personal trauma or just you know, watching porn at a young age or a lack of sex ed or terrible sex ed that can be traumatic. Um, And so I always sort of like chuckle when I think about the choices that we make at that time, so ill-equipped for really all of it. 
Um, I imagine a world that comes along with like lots of sex and love co and lots of sex education for, you know, minors as well um, that have it, that painted it in a positive light. Um, so at what point did you know that this was going to be your work? And, and what happened in between? Like, what were the steps that took you from being, you know, just curious into, okay, wait, I think I have mastered this and now I want to help other people. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for calling me master. I don't know if I would <laughs> self-proclaim myself as that. I'm still a student very much out here doing the vulnerable hard, challenging work with everybody else. Um, so I like to be student and teacher at the same time. And just to shine a little bit of light on sex ed and the teenage experiences before moving forward is you don't, everybody's trauma is different. So my trauma was very obviously trauma, but we all have our own journeys and experiences. And I just want to acknowledge everyone wherever they are with whatever experiences they had. So you can relate to my story and my share in this podcast episode in whatever ways serve you. Um, You don't have to have been a victim to sexual abuse to say that you experienced trauma. Um, 90% of us have experienced trauma in the world and a high percentage of that is sexual. So we all find our ways with it and you're not alone. And uh, I didn't know this was my work until just a couple of years ago, actually. I Before we started recording, I told you that I have a history as a hairstylist. And so I got my first job in a hair salon when I was still in high school and started making money 14 years old. Uh, made a lot more money than anybody I went to school with at the time and started learning how to do hair before I graduated. So I've always been very driven in that way. And then fast forward, I had a lot of long-term relationships, fun experiences, not so fun experiences uh, sexually and with love and life and dating, uh, contracted some STIs in there, which we might dive deeper into in this conversation. And I turned 30 and I decided, you know what? I have not invested in myself. I owned my own salon at that point, was making really good money and have always been interested in self-development. And so I hired my first life coach, spent lots of money on retreats, took a sabbatical, shut down my salon, and I went out of the country. I'm like, I've never been out of the country before. I've always just reinvested into my work and I'm ready to grow and like do something totally different and out there and have an adventure. So yes, I did. (laughs) Wait, can we segue? Where did you go? Oh yeah. Actually, that's where I'm going next. Okay, Um, cool. That's where I met Jordan, actually. Alexa, the CEO of Sex and Love Co., uh, her husband and also CEO Jordan Bowditch. I met him at the very first retreat that I went to in Hawaii. So I met him and I've got a front row seat to their entire relationship and journey, which is magical. And I feel so blessed for that. And I did some work with them. I actually stayed with Jordan in California a couple of months later for about two months and got to know him. So they've been dear friends of mine throughout the years. And I said to Alexa one day when we were on a walk, I think I might work with you someday, but I'm not ready yet. Like I'm still working through my own emotional traumas. I'm not ready to touch the sex stuff yet, but I know that I'm going to get there. And a lot of people, that's what they do in the self-development journey is they save the sex stuff kind of for last. It's pretty common for people to start with yoga and meditation and more of the light stuff. And now there are people granted that dive right in, but it's pretty common to save the sexual healing for last. And so that's what I did. And when I was ready, I knew exactly who to hit up, Miss Alexa Bowditch, and uh, started working with her, did one of her programs. And I had transitioned from 
being a hairstylist to a spiritual life coach. And then once I opened up the very big door of sexual healing and kink play, I decided now is the time to switch into being a sex coach. And I kind of knew all along that that was going to be my niche. Like I'm a very sexually open person, vulnerable person, not afraid to talk about my traumas and experiences, not afraid to show my skin, those kinds of things. And so it just all made sense one day. And here we are. Wow. What a beautiful journey. Thank you for sharing. Um, it's it's so cool to hear, you know, how how everything is so intertwined, like you um, deciding to really invest in yourself and go explore, um, which I, I just I love that so much because I've done a lot of ebbing and flowing in my life into like building and working and creating and then taking some time off. And I love that you, you know, set a sabbatical because that's actually pretty present in my life right now. And my husband and um, our support are calling me sabbatical Jess because the only thing I really have going on is this podcast. Um, I've sort of let things uh, close containers and not opening anything new. Um, so I think it's so important, especially for a woman, you know, at around this age, right? 30 years old, you kind of are like, okay, this is a major sort of chapter. You're right around your Saturn return. Like, where am I going and what do I want to do now as a woman? Um, so it's so awesome. And cheers to Alexa and Jordan because the little bit that I know of them, um, having had them both on the show, they're incredible. And I can't wait to get to know them more. So it sounds like you all have a beautiful thing going. And I love this, this path that you're carving out about authenticity and honesty. And you mentioned earlier, you know, being open and talking publicly about, you know, contracting an STI. And if you look at the numbers, it's like the majority of people who are sexually active, you know, in this country, at least, I don't really know the stats all over the world, but at some point or another, will contract some form of an STI. Not everyone, right? But the vast majority of people um, and it is still such a taboo, and there is so much shame around it. So I would love for you to share, you know, your thoughts around um, why you've chosen to speak about this, and maybe first we can start with, you know, how this happened for you, and what your sort of, um, I guess, decisions and feelings about yourself were, and like maybe what you went through. Was there any sort of healing that was done around that emotionally? Um, yeah. Thank you. So I will start by saying, uh, trigger warning again, <laughs> um, I contracted HSV2, which is herpes 2, herpes simplex B, lots of names for it, which doesn't make understanding STIs any easier. Um, so when I contracted it, the stigma surrounding herpes specifically is that people think that you get herpes from being a slut. That's one of the the stories and the experiences that people just assume is how you got it. And I got it from being raped and taken advantage of by one of my guy friends. So. Um, I knew the next day after it happened, I said, did you use a condom? And he said, no. And I said, I know you gave me something. I just knew intuitively that that's what happened. And if someone has had this experience, then you know, and if you don't, then maybe this can be something to inform you. But it usually takes about 12 to 15 days for those who have been infected with HSV2 for symptoms to arise. And so it was one of the more traumatizing experiences of my life. And as you can imagine, I've had a number of them. And I didn't know what the fuck was going on in my body. I woke up one day and my vulva was so swollen, it looked like a baby's head was coming out of my vaginal canal. It was 
so swollen. I couldn't sit. I couldn't pee. And everybody's experience is different. So you could be asymptomatic with herpes and not even know that you have it. You could have zero symptoms at all. However, most times with women, it affects them more severely than it does with men. So men are more typically asymptomatic than women are. And so I called my doctor and went to the doctor and she took one look at me and said, you have herpes. We're going to run tests to confirm, but I believe this is what you have, like 99% sure. And we ran the tests and she's like, okay, bye. <laughs> I was like, what? Wait, no hello. information, no nothing. Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, I don't understand. Right. And, um, medicine these days, that's how things have been handled. And I have spoken about my experience with herpes and my experience at the OBGYN um, a number of times now. And I have learned that a lot of other people and women have had similar experiences where the door is just kind of opened and shut, quite frankly, with no information, no resources, a bad tableside manner. And it can make the experience of finding out that you have an STI more traumatizing to be treated like that. So that's not normal. Just for those who are listening, that's not a normal thing that should happen. Unfortunately, it does. So I did have quite the healing journey and I had to accept myself and learn to love myself with this STI. And once I could get through that, then I, w- then I had to look at, okay, I was raped and process losing one of my friends over this experience as well. And so it was, um, it was about a year of darkness uh, working through that. And I was single and I got to have lots of trial and error experiences with communicating with men about the STI because HSV2 is in your blood. It's something you have forever and you're more likely to give it to someone else closer to your first outbreak, but it does um, sleep in your system after you know a certain number of years and there's medicine you can take to suppress it as well and things you can do to suppress it however um i i always say i could write a book about the conversations that i had with men <laughs> dating and letting them know that i have an sti cuz we're not only not taught about sex as you mentioned but we're also not taught about all of the many layers and facets and other parts of the sexual journey and experience too, like STIs, how to handle that, how to open up conversations, um, how to explain things, when to explain things. We're not taught how to connect to our desires and how to share those with partners or potential partners. So there's so much information that isn't out there and wasn't out there when I needed it. And so I'm so happy to be here now and to shine light on things of that nature. And I'm also really grateful that you're here as well and beautiful people in this industry that I've been able to connect to because we get to use our voices and share this information and share our personal experiences um, and just let people know that they're not alone and try to release the stigmas, the taboos, and the untruths that are out there surrounding things like this. Mm, so beautifully said. So beautifully said. Thank you. Um, untruths. Hmm. There's not a truer word for, I think, everything that we learn about sexuality in our culture. Um, I'd love to backtrack for a moment. You really, um, really spoke to me when you were talking about a year of darkness. And, um, you know, aside from the podcast, a lot of my listeners know in my sort of, you know, main realm, the world that I operate in has, has been coaching and facilitating retreats and ceremonies. Um, and I coach a lot of people on relationships, um, 
but the healing world is really where I've spent a lot of the last seven years of my life. So I'm curious if you don't mind sharing what got you through that time. Um, you said it was about a year of darkness before you were really able to sort of reemerge. Um, what were you doing in that time and what brought you through the darkness to the other side? That's a great question. So there's a couple of things that pop up when you originally ask me that. Number one is mirror talk. And I know that sounds so cliche, but let me explain. <laughs> I fucking love it already, by the way. We do this on my retreat, but yeah, go ahead. Good, good, good. Um, so there's a lot of shadow surrounding this and why this was so healing because I didn't have education on STIs. I would go as far as saying that I didn't even know that HSV2 existed. I'm like, oh yeah, I've heard of herpes, but I, I wasn't educated on STIs, what they are, how to get them. This information is hard to access. Google is very confusing. So um, I don't recommend Googling any of this, <laughs> but I had a hard time looking at myself in the mirror. And when I would, I would just feel disgusted with myself. I would feel so gross and tarnished and used. And I had so much shame um, with myself and my body and my experiences. And at the time I was a hairstylist. And so I spent all day looking at myself in the mirror because, you know, they have the big floor to, to ceiling mirrors. And I had such a hard time making eye contact with myself in that mirror. And I had to get up two or three hours before I usually did to get ready because I would do my makeup and just cry. And it's not a normal job where you can just roll out of bed and go to work. I had to do my makeup and my hair and look cute. It's an aesthetically pleasing career. And so it took me a lot more time to do my makeup those days because I had a hard time looking at myself. And so I just got to a point where I'm like, I, I can do this. I'm just going to look at myself. I'm going to talk to myself. I'm going to love on myself. I'm going to take my clothes off. I'm going to touch myself. I'm going to give myself and my body what it needs, love and acceptance. And it was hard and it sucked, <laughs> but it was also so fucking beautiful and so needed. And it's one of those exercises that a lot of coaches know and use. And it, it seems like a, such a cliche thing, um, but it's so powerful. Nobody looks at you in the eyes like you look at yourself in the eyes. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for going there. Thank you. I feel like this, this conversation is one of the most, I think, beautifully authentic and vulnerable that we've ever had on this show. Um, being a new show. So I just, I like, for those of you that are just listening and not watching this right now, like I'm pretty much almost in tears. And Serena, I'm so happy to know you um, because so many of us go through these types of things and we never share um, because we don't feel like people would accept us or be able to see us. Um, and so I just appreciate you so much because I know that there's a ton of people listening to this thinking, wow, me too. And maybe they will go get in front of a mirror today or tonight and love on themselves in that way. And yeah, it does sound really cliche, but guys, I've done it and I've done it with multiple groups of women, sometimes men, and it's powerful. There's really nothing more powerful than you speaking to yourself. Um, and not in the kind of unconscious way that we do all day long, but in a conscious, um, in a conscious way, a connected way to communicate to yourself. Because if you don't give yourself love, you're not teaching everyone else in the world how to love you. So oh, thank you for going there and um, for backtracking on that part of your journey. Um, I would love to pick back up with communication. 
because I think that, um, well, I always love to sort of share actionable tools right on the show. And um, a lot of my listeners will write in and ask, well, how do I talk about this with my partner? Or how do I talk about X, Y, and Z while I'm dating? And you said you had a crazy amount of conversations, right? When you first started to um, practice and share this with, you know, potential partners or people that you're dating. Can you start to give us a glimpse of what that looks like? Yes. Thank you so much for asking. And also, thank you for what I receive as such a powerful compliment that this is one of your more vulnerable shows because doing this work and sharing these stories, um, I too am like holding tears <laughs> in my my facial space. And so um, I really receive that love and it is so important to just let all of your listeners know that they're not alone. And so we're here for you and we love you <laughs> yeah. and thank you. Um, so to shine light on the communication bit, I would start by saying, learn how to play. And what I mean by that is, what if we just released some of the heaviness surrounding hard conversations in general and allowed ourselves, gave ourselves permission to try new things, to experiment, to play, to even be unattached to what the result is but just to try new things for the sake of trying new things, for experimenting and for playing with life. So that would be the first bit, the first layer, which is a very, very important layer. <laughs> because if we can do that and not be attached and give ourselves permission to try new things and to play, then it just opens up an infinite amount of possibilities and it opens up space. And when we release attachment to how someone responds, reacts, what they say, um, what comes next, then again, that just leaves everything so open and there's so much space, infinite space for what could happen. So really important, valuable piece that I just want to bring home. And then the second bit is it really depends on if you're Really, this is different person to person. So some people with herpes like to communicate it right out of the gate on the first date, sometimes in DMs on online dating apps before they even meet people like, hey, I have herpes. I really want you to know this about me. Um, and then some people wait, you know, a couple dates in and say, hey, there's something I'd like to share with you. There's something I'd like you to know about me. And there's no right or wrong answer. There's no overarching template that I can say, this is how you do it. This is the correct way, the way to do it. But what I can say is you can make decisions based on the information you're given, the tools and resources that you have, the support system that you have. So you gather up all of these things and then you make decisions for yourself based on everything that you have gathered. And in the gathering process, the number one thing and place that I think that everybody should start when they have an STI is educating themselves. So make an appointment at the OBGYN, understand what herpes is or insert whatever STI that you have, um, research it, buy books about it, listen to podcasts on it, soak up as much information as you can so that you can confidently say to your partner or future partners, do you have any questions about this? I'm, I'm open. I'm here. I'd, I'd be happy to answer any questions to the best of my abilities. And that confidence, that understanding, that deep all-knowing that you will hold helps them feel safe. If you feel safe and secure in who you are, what's going on in your body, then of course 
your partner or potential partner will feel that. And that will influence how they respond and how they react. So educating yourself, playing with conversations, and figuring out a template that works best for you. Hmm. Wow. I feel calm <laughs> in your explanation of how to communicate this, this stuff, this work, because it's so true when you really, first of all, come from a place of like self-love and acceptance, which is what you've done and what you're sharing. Then you can really dive into the education piece, which I love that you share that as a big component of the best way to communicate because it does create security for people. And, you know, as we've mentioned earlier, if you look at the numbers, right, and the statistics, imagine if we had, you know, even half the people in our population, right, that are, that are living with some form of STI um, communicating this way. Um, I imagine that we could probably eradicate like the the large amount of shame and taboo and stigma that come with these types of things because we'd all be sharing it. And what a major paradigm shifting opportunity I think we have um, as a culture and sort of as a generation. Um, it's really, really beautiful that you take into account like how you want the person receiving this information to feel, but to also um, have the opportunity and sort of the invitation to be a part of the conversation rather than, hey, I'm going to tell you this. You do with it what you want. Um, but it's like, hey, I'd love to share this with you. And then I'd love to open up a dialogue around it. I want to invite you into this experience with me because it's not only healthier for the partner, but it's also healthier for you as the person who is, you know, sharing this information to create that like connection out of a conversation rather mm -hmm. than just uh, here's my info, like mm -hmm. do with it what you will, which I yeah. think is what a lot of people like get so stressed about because that's what they imagine the only way it can go. But no, if you're inviting in play and you're bringing into it all the knowledge that you have, um, there's so many possibilities for a beautiful conversation. Um, yeah. yeah, I will add to it's okay to feel nervous. And if you do feel nervous and you want to practice, I invite you to embody more of the play aspect. So experiment, try telling a certain number of people in your DMS right away. Try telling people on the first date, try telling people when you decide that you want to open your body to them. And just see how each of these options feel. Figure out what works for you. And you can even name that vulnerably and say, I'm still learning how to communicate about this. And this is what I'm doing, just FYI. And you can even invite them to engage with the conversation by saying something like, have you been tested for STIs recently? And give, give them the opportunity to then ask you about your STI situation. So then you're not just like dropping information on them that they maybe weren't prepared for. So mm -hmm. there's ways to navigate and negotiate the space where you are involving the other partner in the conversation. And it isn't just like dropping a bomb. And something that I had to learn the hard way, I will say, is I would share pe with people that I have herpes. And then not ask them about their STI experiences and when the last time they were tested because I thought, oh, okay, well, if they accept me and they're good, then we're good and then we're going to get it on, you know. Um, but I learned the hard way after contracting other STIs um, that I also am valuable and I also get to ask these questions and engage in conversation with others. So that feels like an important uh, second layer to add to it because you are valuable and this does not define you and you are worthy. Yes. Thank you for adding that and sharing it. Um, yeah. Listening to you, I think that like I 
oftentimes would have the same thought process, right? It's like we, um, when we're in a place where we're not deeply accepting of ourselves or we still have a conversation around our worthiness, right? We place people on pedestals. No matter who they are, we feel like we have to rise to meet someone else and be accepted. And so I love that. It is always a two-way street. Um, and you are all deserving of that. Um, okay, wait, I have a question. I don't know this and I feel like I should. Are you in a relationship currently? Yes, I am one year married. Okay. I'm Beautiful. a newbie. A newbie. Yeah, you're a newlywed. <laughs> Amazing. Um, with a man, with a woman? With a man. And we are on the path of opening our relationship. And so I imagine we could have a whole nother podcast episode talking about that. <laughs> we absolutely could. We so could. Okay. So you've had like a nice foundation of monogamy and now yes. you're dipping the toes into. Yeah. So a nice foundation is an interesting way to describe it. Um, no, it, it, it has been nice and it has also been very human and very real and very like moving through the trenches of shadow work and uh, learning a lot about ourselves and each other through the catalyst of our relationship. And so it has come with challenges. I wish that it was just like this easy, breezy, beautiful foundation building. We're ready to go. Let's open the door and have a sex party uh, situation. But that's not where we're at. And I'm also so grateful for where we are at and where we desire to go and the things that we're learning along the way. Mm, okay. Incredible. I have another question. I have a bunch of questions, but have either of you experienced with open relationship styles previous to being together? So he was polyamorous uh, for three to four years before meeting me. And his style of dating was very open, open relationship, not necessarily having the conversations with others about things and having like set agreements and boundaries and things of that nature. And two years, two to three years before getting together with him, I went on a journey of celibacy. <laughs> so it was like the complete opposite paths that brought us together. Um, so I have had experiences in open relationships and in sex play. Um, I'm not like completely innocent to that. However, he is more experienced with it than I am. But being that this is now my career and I am very educated in this field, uh, we are navigating a lot together because he has the experience, but not really um, like he, he is educated, but we just have totally different backgrounds. And so we're intertwining those things and, and forging our own path, I guess you could say. Yeah. And you have so much to learn from one another. Um, I imagine that, you know, I mean, just in so many ways, that's like a whole other rabbit hole that I'm like, no, let's not go there because I, I wanted to sort of make this connection between all the sort of communication that we're talking about and the tools and the like incredible sort of steps that you've laid out for ways to do this, right? I just want people listening to think about that. You can apply that to any, you know, conversation that you're imagining might be challenging. Um, I had Jordan on just a couple of weeks ago. And so I learned the term fun comfortable. I was like, oh my God, this is brilliant. Um, so we I think actually like we talked about fun, comfortable conversations a bunch. And so a lot of my listeners will ask, like, how do I have the conversation of opening up? Like, I'm really, you know, interested in this and it's something I've been thinking about for a while. How do I talk to my partner about it? Right. And so I just wanted to circle back and like point that out. You know, a lot of what Serena has shared, you can apply directly to a conversation about potentially wanting to open up or even just try something 
monogamish in nature um, or, you know, have conversations about anything that you might feel um, could be rocky, you know, when you're in a relationship because, you know, so much of what two people are bringing to the table are very different. Um, but there's always a commonality and there's usually a deep connection to be found when sharing vulnerably what you think someone might find, um, you know, either uncomfortable or what someone might find displeasing, right? I, I would often think that, oh my gosh, if I like tell them this, they're not going to like me anymore. <laughs> and like even with friends, a lot of times they're like, this is why I love you, actually. Um, and so you'll never know that if you don't actually open the door and have these conversations um, because you don't want to be the person 20 years down the line thinking, wow, I never shared my truth. Um, mm -hmm. And what could my relationship have looked like if I shared? It always, this is so silly, but I think about the, um, what's this song? Oh my gosh. It's basically the song about, it's about a couple that both take out personal ad like from the 80s um oh my gosh you guys this is gonna be so silly but do you like pina coladas getting caught in the rain yeah do you know this song it's actually about a husband and wife who like thought they fell out of love and they both put a personal ad out and then replied to each other so anyway i just always think about people who are thinking about having the conversation um, whether it be like you want to try something kinky or spice up your relationship, it doesn't even have to be opening up. It doesn't even have to be, you know, um, a challenging, you know, thing like sharing a conversation about different ways you want to raise kids or, you know, we're talking a lot about STIs, but just anything in general, who knows what your partner thinks about that? Who knows what your friends think about that? Um, so that's my little tidbit. I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. I actually didn't know that that's what that song was about. Um, so thank you for that. I'm going to listen to it now. And it feels important to say that I also had a number of men and women who responded so good to me telling them that I had herpes. And that is also a very real option that is possible. And so I love that you shined a light on that because it feels important to name that. And yeah, you won't know until you go there and you have the conversations. And so I hope that this podcast episode inspires you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that final tidbit. I think that the moral of this kind of story and episode, right, is the more information we have, the more we can expand the more we can make our own informed decisions. And so can our partners and our loved ones. It doesn't even have to be your romantic relationships, right? Think about your family and your community. Um, the more we offer of ourselves, the more people can know us better, love us better, treat us better, and um, just be more expansive in their relationship with us and us with them. So yeah. Wow. Okay. This feels like a good place to stop and we'll have to pick up for part two. Um, Serena Rose, I appreciate you so, so much. Is there any final thought that you want to share? Um, and then, of course, please let everyone know where we can find you and the rest of X and Love Co. crew. Yeah, definitely. So the final thought that I have surrounding our conversations today is that Everything that makes you you is absolutely perfect, including having something like herpes. And so I got to learn how to use this STI as a key to finding my partner and any potential partners that I engage with. And once I started to view it like that, things really shifted for me. And so how can you love your quirks, your weaknesses, your infections as per this conversation all parts of you absolutely every single part of you um and accept and love them and have them optimize your life for you so that's the final thought and you can find me on instagram at spiritual sex coach and the sex and love 
Co. Crew is all over my page. Um, our new website is about to launch. So information coming soon surrounding that. But my boss and CEO of Sex and Love Co. is that sex chick. Yay! Thank you so, so much. Um, have a beautiful rest of your day, girlfriend. Thank you. All right, beautiful loves. That was another incredible episode and conversation. If you enjoyed this conversation, please screenshot uh, the episode and tag us and let us know what you really liked about it. I love hearing from you. I love being a part of your journey. Um, And of course, don't forget to rate and review openly. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.